Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to open to Malachi chapter 3. We're going to continue in our series on living generously. Living generously. Anybody, anybody been learning anything in this series on generosity? All right, good, good. At least a couple people here. Uh, anybody get encouraged by Naomi's generosity last week? You know, how she gave hope in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of loss. And, and that's really what we want to do for every family as we are, we are communicating these truths about generosity. Now, I want to start today a little bit differently because uh, inevitably in any service, there could always be somebody who is just plugging in. This is your first week here, and uh, you're going to hear uh, many principles taught in this uh, to believers, and you may misjudge the trajectory of our culture here at Calvary. I want everybody to understand there is one chief aim of Calvary Church. As we gather corporately, as we gather in Calvary Kids and Volume Students, there is one chief aim, and that is the presence of God. To welcome the presence of God in a real and tangible way when each of us uh, come together. We are changed in the presence of God. So in a few minutes, I'm going to be teaching you uh, about some of the promises of God. But I, I, I want you to understand this from the very beginning, that it is the presence of God that prioritizes the promises of God. It is when God's presence is manifest in your life, when you're aware of his nearness, when you're aware of his goodness, of his salvation, and, and how he's working in your life, that then when you stand on the promises of God, you're not doing it from a place of selfishness, you're doing it from a place and an attitude of worship. The presence of God is our chief aim. I would say it this way, even at the risk of being misunderstood. We are not a purpose-driven church. We are a presence-driven church. And our purpose is birthed from his presence. So when, when you begin to hear some of the principles that I'm going to be teaching today, um, I, I, I want to tell you, all of it comes under the umbrella of being in Deep personal relationship with God, intimate with Him. And today I'm going to speak a message to you called The Test. Living generously, The Test. I don't know about you, but uh, many of you probably right now feel a little bit like I did sometimes in school. I would show up, my day is fine thought everything was going to be good. I get to class. The teacher says, put your things away. It's time to take the test. And you know what I said? What test? What test? Ah. And boy, I tell you what, if you didn't have a prayer life before, you have one at that moment. 
You're like, man, I need tongues right now, Lord. I need words of knowledge. Give words of knowledge, answers for these tests. Holy Spirit, I need you. <laughs> Most of us don't realize uh, that there is a test in the area of generosity. And today I'm going to be teaching you uh, about the test from the scriptures we're going to go to Malachi chapter 3, and normally what I do here, if you're new here, uh, normally I'll take a passage and we'll break it down and we'll, 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 uh, we'll kind of pull all those points out. Today, as I'm reading this passage to you from Malachi chapter 3, is it okay if we just kind of walk through this passage together a little bit and then we'll make some points? And so I want to, I want to kind of read the Bible with you uh, before we get to any points or, or make any points like that. I hope that you will be in, just, just have a little grace for me because... This may be the first exposure to these scriptures for many people. For others, you're like, oh, yeah, I got this. Slam dunk, okay? And perhaps you might learn something uh, fresh and new as well. Malachi chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 6, okay? And this is all about the Lord speaking to his people about generosity as it pertains to tithes and offering. This is what the Lord says, beginning in verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, how many of you are glad that the Lord doesn't change? How many of you are glad that all of his ways are mercy and truth? That he's always good? And by the way, I think God was, he may have been making a little joke here. He said, because if I did change, I'd have started over by now. You would have been consumed if I changed, but I don't change. I'm full of grace. By the way, in the New Testament, we're, we're, we're taught a lot about grace, but let me just tell you, in the Old Testament, God was full of grace, full of grace. And, and he says, I'm showing you the, the grace that is resting on you. I don't change. I'm not changing my mind about you. I love you. I'm for you. But I am not going to leave you where you are. Verse 7. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances. Notice that word. And have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, it says, but in what way shall, shall we return to you? He says, you've gone away from what? Ordinances. Now, if you look at that word ordinance, uh, you, it's probably closer to a word that we might regularly use called ordinary. Okay? Ordinary. And when you see this word ordinance in the scripture, here's what it means. It means the ordinary actions of those within a community. So when God says, this is an ordinance in the community of faith, in the community of believers. This is the ordinary behavior of those in relationship with me, those who are in covenant. This is the ordinary behavior. Some of you know ordinances because you live in an HOA and you live where, you know, if your grass gets to four and a half inches, you're going to get a letter. That says, you need to mow your grass 
or pay someone to regularly mow your grass. Why? Because in this area, the ordinary behavior of those who have said, I want to be a part of this community is you mow your grass. So what God is talking about here is the ordinary behavior of those who are in covenant relationship with him. He says, you need to return to me. Now, in what way shall you return? You said, in what way shall we return? And he says this, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes, that's the first 10%, and offerings? But notice, he doesn't say you, you, you committed theft. He said you robbed me. Does anyone know the difference between theft and robbery? If you're in law enforcement, you would. Theft means someone came and took something when you weren't there. Robbery is when they come and take it and you are there. And I've got good news for everybody in here. And we shout, we clap, we dance, and we run when we say statements like this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But when you go away from the ordinary pattern of behavior, no, he hasn't left. He's there. That's why he calls it Robbery. He says, in tithes and offerings, he says, you're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land. Notice what he says. He says, bring all of the tithe. Bring that first 10% into what? The storehouse. House. That is the place where God had chosen to put his name and that he would be revealed in that place. The New Testament application of that is the gathering place of the saints called in a modern sense the church. The storehouse is the church. And he says, bring all of the tithes there and the offerings. And notice what he says, so that there will be food in my house. This had a very practical application in the Old Testament because what were they bringing? They were bringing many times uh, offerings of food, offering of spices, and they were what? They were taking care of the, the fatherless and the widow, and there was all kinds of very practical applications about the food and the priests being fed and, and, and all of that, and that's, that's all wonderful. But I believe that there is also a spiritual application of this verse. Let me say it this way. Calvary... You totally, you, you break the trend. You are one of the most generous churches. You, there are more people in the church who return the tithe and give over and above in offerings. Like, like this church, it's, it's ridiculous. You're off the charts generous and, uh, 
uh, I, I want to say it's the reason why we're debt free. It's the reason why we can be ministering and dreaming about God doing what he wants to do. It's why we can, we can send missionaries the way that we do, why we can sow and give the way that we do as a church, why we can continually feed people the way that we do. But I want to tell you, there is another byproduct of your, gener of your generosity, and it is this. Every time one of our pastors, doesn't matter if it's me, Pastor Carl, Pastor Corey, uh, any of the people who stand in this pulpit and declare the word of God, here's what I hear from this place over and over and over again. After every service, every weekend, I left that place fed. I left that place spiritually nourished. I left that place, man, with a word from God. And it sustained me and it nourished me and it kept me. Why? Because the word of God is the bread. It is that, it is that, that, that main staple of our diet. And here's what I believe. The atmosphere of generosity here at Calvary has set the stage for personal prophetic revelation and divine words from heaven. I believe God speaks to me because he says, I see a generous people. I see a people who, who are, whose hearts are for me, who say, I will not be governed by finance. I will only be ruled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I believe it with all of my heart. So we preach this good because you're generous. So there's always bread in the house. There's always food in the house of the generous. And I want to I say this. The Lord says, see if I will open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that there won't be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Church, you have to understand God wants us to teach generosity, not so this place, so Calvary Church or a local assembly can be blessed. It is so that you will operate in the fullness of God's blessing in your life. Let me just tell you, God himself can just rain down manna. He can do whatever he wants to to supply for his church. But he tells us how that we are to step into the fullness and pass the test by returning the tithe and giving offerings. How many of you would love the idea of spiritual warfare when you're not doing the fighting, but God says, sit this one out. I'll take care of the devil on your behalf. That's what he says. He says, I'll rebuke the devourer. I'll do it. You sit this one out, you be in rest. You be in the place of peace. Sit this one out. I'll take care of him. And what you put your hand to will produce. That's what the scripture says. Now, it says that we are to return the tithe and the offering, but the tithe. Now, most people don't use that language unless you're in church culture. And so here's what you need to know. Tithe means a tenth. And the number 10 within the scripture all throughout scripture is connecting to, connected to this one idea, testing. So the first point today is tithing is a test. 
Now I'm going to walk you through some stuff. I'm going to walk you through the, the scriptures. Now, this is where I need a little call and response, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to ask a question. This is the teacher helping you get 100 on the quiz by giving you the answer that a tithe means 10, and 10 means testing. So... 10 might be the answer. Okay. Here's a question. First question. Lots of people will know this. How many plagues came upon Egypt? Oh, you're doing well. Man, you guys are sharp. Another way the plagues are described, and if I had phrased it this way, you might not have gotten the answer. It would have been... How many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? Ten times. How about this one? How many commandments are there? You guys. You're amazing. Now, it's going to get a little harder. It's going to get a little harder. A little more obscure passages. So, but I, I trust you. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? In Numbers 14. I told you. No, no, no. It's Numbers 14. It's in Numbers 14. You go look it up. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? That's right. Come on. I gave you the answers. I feel like, oh, my heart goes out to all my teachers right now. You gave them the answers. How did you get them? Okay. How many times were Jacob's wages changed? All right. All right. A little more confidence. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew 25? How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelation? How many disciples were there? Well, that was good. That was extra credit. Extra credit. It's 12. It's not 10. That's pretty good. Some of you guys were watching first service stream, and that's what it was. Uh-huh. You're like, I'm going to get him good. I'm going to shout the right answer. But uh, I could see the faces of everybody who was not watching the stream. No. See, all throughout the scripture, the number 10 is connected to testing. And that's what I want you to see here. And so when the Lord says, return a tenth, it's the test. And here's the question. Here's the test question. Whom will I worship with the increase in my life? Whom will I worship with the increase in my life? If you're here today and you don't have a job, guess what? 10% of zero is... I'm glad nobody yelled out 10. <laughs> That's right. But when you receive increase, what belongs to the Lord isn't the last 1.8% after you're done paying everything else. It's the first 10%. It's holy and it belongs to the Lord. But I love this about tithing because it's not only a test for us. 
You should write this down. Tithing is a two-way test. And notice what, notice what the Lord says in Malachi 3.10. He said, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. That word in other translations says, test me in this. He goes, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive. Church, listen to me. When you properly hold to the fear of the Lord, you would understand under normal circumstances, you never want to test the Lord. When you properly, you reverence him, you esteem him, you honor him, you never want to test the Lord except in this one place, the only place in the whole of scripture that God says you can test me is in the area of generosity, returning the tithe and giving in offerings. It's the only area. And God says, I'll, I'll do it. I'll bless you. It's a two-way test. Second thing you need to know about tithing is that it's biblical. It's biblical. Now, there are some that come from different backgrounds, you know, and they're like, oh, no, tithing, that's a law. That's the law. Um, you know, uh, that's, not, that's not New Testament. Well, I'm going to show you that uh, just so the, the principle of tithing, remember, it's, it's, it's an ordinance. It's the ordinary behavior of those in covenant relationship with the Lord. It's ordinary and it unlocks the supernatural. I'm going to show it to you before the law, what it says about it in the law, and what it says in the New Testament. So let's look at it, because the first instance of, of, of where tithing is mentioned, it predates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai to Moses by 500 years. This is a moment where, where Abram is actually pursuing those who've come and raided the camp, and he now has gone back, and he has given, he has gotten everything back. And uh, there is a, a very unique situation that comes up, there is a man named Melchizedek that shows up. Melchizedek is understood by many theologians to be Jesus in the Old Testament. It is, in, in theological terms, it's called a theophany. It is an Old Testament manifestation of Jesus. Did you know that Jesus showed up in the Old Testament? This is one of the times Jesus shows up. Call him Melchizedek, and you'll understand why I, I believe that this is Jesus based on his description here in Genesis 14, verse 18. It says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means king of peace. Who's the king of peace? His name is? All right, you're catching on. He brought out bread and wine. What's that look like? Looks like Passover and what? Communion. If it's Passover, he is the Pascal lamb. He is the lamb of God, the center of all of Passover, but he is also the very, the very featured uh, one of the Godhead in communion. So he brings out bread and wine. He was the priest of, the most, the, of God most high, 
Who is that? That's Jesus. And he blessed him, saying, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So this is the pronouncement over Abram. Now you see Abram's response, and it is this. He gave him a tithe or a tenth of all of the spoils, of all of the increase. He gave it to Jesus. This is 500 years before the law was given. This is in the, the age of promise. Um, about 80 years later, so approximately 400 years before the giving of the law, we, we find in Genesis 28, verse 22, this statement. It says, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house, and all that you give me I will surely give a tenth to you. Let me just tell you that, that here we have two times, and it's listed about 41 times in the New Testament, throughout the Scriptures, rather, 41 times throughout the Scriptures, here we have another time predating the law, mentioning returning the tithe to the Lord. Now I'm going to just ask you a, a question. If something was right under the old covenant, does that make it wrong in the new covenant? Let me ask it another way. If something was wrong under the old covenant, does that make it right in the new covenant? Was it wrong to murder under the old covenant? Is it wrong to murder in the new covenant? Let me just say it to you this way. Is it right to be generous in the old covenant? And by the way, this is before the law. And actually... Should the Lord allow, um, in the coming weeks, I may show you how it actually goes back 2,500 years. Because these principles go all the way back to Cain and Abel and right back to the garden. But here it's clearly 500 and approximately 400 years. Now look at what it says in the law about the tithe. It says, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the Lord, uh, seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Who does it belong to? Who does it belong to? Get it in your heart. Who does the tithe belong to? All right. It is holy to the Lord. That's Leviticus 27.30. Now notice in Deuteronomy where Deuteronomy, uh, it literally means the law twice or the law again, the second, the second time, the law the second time. Now, referring to giving in Deuteronomy 26, 1 and 2, it says, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, you shall possess it and dwell in it, that you may take some of the first, that is very important, some of the first of all the produce of the ground, which... Uh, uh, which you shall bring from the, the land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. What is that? That is, uh, if you were to explain that in a very practical way in the new covenant, the place where the name of Jesus is proclaimed in the New Testament era is the gathering of the saints called the local church. And so he is saying, listen, you take the first and you return it to that place where God God has chosen to place his name. 
Look at verse 13 a little further down in Deuteronomy 26 and how this really uh, connects to the tithe. It says, and then you shall say before the Lord your God. Now listen, this is the prayer that follows embracing this principle and this promise. But then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house. And also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's what I want you to say. Listen and get this in your spirit. Get it on your mouth. When you return the tithe, church, you have permission to pray this way. Lord, now bless our house. Lord, now bless us, Lord, and cause us to increase for your name's sake, for your kingdom's sake. That is when, God says, when you return this, when you, when you say, I am removing the tithe from my house, it all belongs to the Lord. And when something belongs to the Lord, you either can return it to them or you steal it. Never belongs to us, so you can't really give the tithe. You can return the tithe. That's why we use that language here. So you return it to the Lord. And when you do, he says, this is the way you pray. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people. And the land. We prayed this last week in daily prayer from Jeremiah 29. He says, you need to pray for the prosperity of the city because when it prospers, you prosper. Do you know the name of the city that he told him to pray over? Babylon. Confusion. He said, you pray for the prosperity of the city. He goes, increase there. Do not decrease. Do you understand that God says when you will uh, operate in the ordinary behavior of my covenant people, I will bless you no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in. This is the goodness of God. Now I know, I know, I've probably some people, you know, everything you've read there is just all in the Old Testament. All right. Now, if I give you some words in red, <laughs> first of all, why are there some people are like words in red? What does that mean? In most Bibles, the words in red are the, the direct words of Jesus. So if you get it directly from Jesus, would you then embrace it? Matthew 23, verse 23 says, this is what Jesus said. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, play actors. For you pay tithe of mint, anise, and cumin. By the way, he says, he goes, you give down to what you season your food with. You are so meticulous in the way you return the tithe to the Lord. 
and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus said out of his own mouth, you ought to tithe. He says, however, don't think for a moment that tithing is the major issue. The major issue is you need my presence in your life so you love the way I love, you walk in justice the way I walk in justice, you walk in mercy the way I walk in mercy. He goes, that is the weightiest thing, my presence governing your behavior, but by the way, I'm not telling you to leave any of those promises undone. Jesus said, you ought to do it. Why would he say that? Because he wants you blessed. Jesus wants you blessed. Let me give you one kind of final thought about the test and about tithing. Tithing is personal. Tithing is personal. Not in a, hey, pastor, stay out of my business kind of a way. That's what we think when you hear the tithing is personal. No. I want you to know God is saying tithing is personal to me. I'm going to read you a scripture that you may have read over before. But you've maybe never, ever felt the weight of what it actually says. And believers, this ought to draw you into the greatest, the greatest moments of intimacy ever. This is a fresh revelation of how close Jesus really is. Hebrews chapter 7 says this. Here, mortal men receive Tithes. But then it says, by the way, this is talking about Melchizedek, so we know this is Jesus. Listen. But there he receives them. He receives them. Of whom it is testified that he what? Lives. Who's he talking about? Jesus. Listen to this. When you return the tithe... Here on earth, there is not only a transaction on earth, but a moment of intimacy and exchange in heaven. It says, he receives them there. Oh man, this should get you excited. If you're a believer and you're returning the tithe, you ought to get real excited. Man, when I'm returning the tithe, I know that something good is going to happen in this region. People are going to be saved. People are going to be healed. People are going to be transformed. I know that. But when I give, I am ushered into the throne room and I'm sitting before the one whose eyes are fire, whose voice is the sound of many waters, and I'm returning it to him. And here's what the scripture says. He receives it there. Or you say, 
I'm not tithing. And you look at that one on the throne who said, I'll receive it. And you say, no thanks. He receives it. It's personal. You being blessed is personal to Jesus. That is why he says, I receive it. And how do I know that? How do I know this for sure? Because anything you offer to Jesus, he'll receive. Anything you give him. Matter of fact, there are those under the sound of my voice today. God saying, listen, uh, tithing is a down the road issue for you. What you need to do is come to that same throne and give me your life. And if you will offer me your life, I'll receive it. It may look like you're doing something here, but there will be an exchange that happens in heaven. When you give your life, you not only will be seated with him in heavenly places, but you'll experience salvation on earth. Why? Because of this principle in Hebrews 7 that when we do things on earth he receives them in heaven. You need to know you're not joining an organization. You're saying I'm going to give you that offering that you deserve. See, Jesus died on the cross, was buried, raised from the dead. Most of us know that that was for us. But he also was demonstrating exactly what our response should be to him. I'm laying down my life. I'm going into your care. Raise me up in newness of life, Lord. Because I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you everything. Church, the door to blessing is being born again. And when you're born again, you ought to say, God, I give you everything, including my finances. I'll return to you the first 10%, and then I'm going to give over and above, and I'm, I know I will be more blessed when I live in the ordinary way of people in covenant with you.